tortoise. Hello, I'm Tomini, and this is the Sensemaker from Tortoise. One story every day to make sense of the world. Two months ago, Rishi Sunak insisted he was not considering a delay to the UK's planned 2030 ban on new petrol and diesel cars. But now he's made a screeching U-turn. What caused this change of heart and how will it go down with voters? That's after a short break. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And for our part, the UK which was the first major economy in the world to legislate for net zero, will fulfil our ambitious commitment to reduce emissions by at least 68% by 2030. Rishi Sunak has never been what you call a fully paid-up member of the Green Gang, certainly not when it comes with a cost. Back when he was Chancellor, he's said to have argued against the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson's decision to impose a 2030 ban on selling new petrol and diesel cars. But, until now at least, he's more or less gone along with it. Then in July, something changed. That something was the by-election in Uxbridge. ULES, the ultra-low emission zone, was being extended to the outer boroughs of London, and many people didn't like it. Because people can't pay £12.50 a day, whatever it is, yeah? I'll never vote Labour after this. Never, ever. The Tories zeroed in on this as the central part of their by-election campaign, and it seemed to work. They held on to Boris Johnson's former seat. Tuckwell Stephen, commonly known as Steve Tuckwell, the Conservative Party candidate, 13,900... That win... At a time when the Conservatives were trailing Labour in the polls by around 20 points, made some in the party sit up and take notice. Could this local issue be successfully weaponised on a national scale? And if so, how? The climate sceptic Net Zero Scrutiny Group of Conservative MPs sprung up after the success of the Brexit-backing ERG. A week after the Uxbridge by-election in July, it sent a letter to Rishi Sunak urging a rethink of net-zero policies. Two days after receiving that letter, the Sunday Telegraph revealed that Rishi Sunak was reviewing low-traffic neighbourhoods, but he was still committed to the 2030 ban on new petrol and diesel cars. But, as one of the signatories told Tortoise, that letter was a tipping point. Just two months later, Sunak has now announced he's falling in line with their demands, pushing back the ban to 2035 alongside a host of other policies. Rishi Sunak's argument was pretty similar to that put forward in the letter. Craig McKinley, who chairs the Net Zero group, told us the observations in it closely match Rishi Sunak's announcement in Downing Street. Look, no, this is, this is not actually about politics. Right? This is not about the politics. This is about doing what's right for the country in the long term. Whatever the cause, the reaction was swift but inconclusive. 
Some car manufacturers like Ford were quick to complain that further inconsistency was bad for business, while Toyota issued a statement saying all of this actually provided clarity. And while some Tory MPs welcomed it as common sense prevailing, others started muttering loudly about letters of no confidence. It's potentially uh, the greatest mistake of his premiership uh, so far, and I say that not lightly. One Tory MP told Tortoise that while they didn't like it personally, the U-turn had gone down well with members, the people the Conservatives will rely on to hit the ground once an election is called. But party members of all stripes are often not reflective of the wider electorate. So, against the backdrop of a year-long cost-of-living crisis, what do people really think of net-zero policies? We'll have more after the break. Hello, I'm Jeevan Varsaga. I'm climate editor at Tortoise and host of a new podcast called Counter Crisis from the Centre for Disaster Protection, a UK government-funded international organisation which works to change how the world plans and pays for disasters. If you follow the news, you'll know that more people than ever are in need of humanitarian assistance. War and climate change are affecting millions, but the solutions haven't really kept pace. Finance is key. We saw during the pandemic that the countries that found it easiest to borrow money were the most able to respond, and not the countries that were the most affected. Across three episodes covering disasters, the losses caused by climate change, and our response to disease outbreaks, I'm going to try and make sense of this. Why are the current ways we respond to crises inadequate? And how can we do better? I'll be speaking to experts to rethink the recovery from crisis and find out why pre-arranged finance can help get aid where it's needed. You can listen now. Search for Counter Crisis wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode. I think the first and most important thing to remember about ULES is that it's a very local issue. This is Daisy Powell Chandler, Head of Energy and Environment at research group Public First, speaking to Tortoise's political editor, Kat Nealon. I think we've learnt a lot from the ULES conversation, the first being that actually you probably need to put the, the carrots, the scrappage fees and all those kinds of incentives out there first before you go in with the stick. Public First asked 4,000 members of the public whether they thought that action to prevent climate change would have more costs or more benefits. By by a decent-ish margin, people said they actually thought it would have more benefits financially than it had costs. So, interestingly, it's not that people don't realise there are costs. People People are quite rational. There seems to be a misunderstanding of what the voters want. What's quite interesting about the Prime Minister's announcements is that um, I think the public are going to struggle a little bit to disentangle his assertion that he is not watering down commitments to net zero with a series of announcements that are about stopping doing things that help us achieve net zero. It's a complex message for the government to sell, undermining trust in the party. From the polling, it would be net a vote loser. And um, what is more important, I think, is not even necessarily the jiggery-pokery of a couple of percent here or, or there in terms of who backs one policy versus another. It's the overall impact on how these people view politicians and particularly the Conservative Party. What's clear is net zero looks like it will become a key battleground between the two main parties for the next general election. 
So I think we're going to see a much more bruising world for net zero policy over the next year in what would otherwise have been actually probably a fairly settled policy environment in the run up to the election. Thanks for listening to The Sensemaker from Tortoise. This episode was written by Kat Nealon, produced by Imi Harper and mixed by Patricia Clark. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Jeevan Varsaga. I'm climate editor at Tortoise and host of a new podcast called Counter Crisis from the Centre for Disaster Protection a UK government-funded international organisation which works to change how the world plans and pays for disasters. If you follow the news, you'll know that more people than ever are in need of humanitarian assistance. War and climate change are affecting millions, but the solutions haven't really kept pace. Finance is key. We saw during the pandemic that the countries that found it easiest to borrow money were the most able to respond, and not the countries that were the most affected. Across three episodes, covering disasters, the losses caused by climate change, and our response to disease outbreaks, I'm going to try and make sense of this. Why are the current ways we respond to crises inadequate, and how can we do better? I'll be speaking to experts to rethink the recovery from crisis, and find out why pre-arranged finance can help get aid where it's needed. You can listen now. Search for Counter Crisis, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.